0: You are listening to WTUZ Radio Podcast. Welcome to WTUZ Radio Podcast. I am your host, Rhonda. And today's podcast, actually, I got my inspiration from a current Netflix series that I am watching called Godless. And shout out to Sis Tressie. She was the one that put me up on it to give it a look. And I'm just getting around it on my quote, quote, I'm putting break in quotations (laughs) to uh, giving it a look. And uh, I got to the episode where... um, The settlers of the West are having, uh, they ran into the Buffalo Soldiers. And um, of course, I sat straight up and I'm like, ah, now it's connecting, Sis Tressie. why you wanted me to watch this. So uh, shout out to Sis Tressie for always sending me great information. I truly appreciate it. And shout out to my uh, YouTube listeners and the family in general. If you want to send me something, some content uh, that you think, you know, that I should take a look at, you can reach me faster either on the Facebook page or on Instagram, okay? Uh, So shout out to all of the family listeners. You are much appreciated. So, the title of this podcast is The Buffalo Soldier, Black European and Black Indian. All right, fam. So, as I said, I'm, you know, listening to this series and, um, or looking at uh, that particular Netflix series called Godless. I think I'm five or six episodes in. And when they started talking, uh, interacting with the Buffalo Soldiers, and then it hit me. I'm like, whoa, okay, they're telling the interaction between the white settlers of the West, also the Indians which now we should know that the early Indians, the indigenous Indians, not the mixed Indians, that mixed with the white population and um, the Spanish population and the Asian population who were classified as Native Americans. I'm talking about the indigenous Indians who were black. And the Buffalo Soldier, which I'm going to go over them today in this podcast because the Buffalo Soldiers were, it appears, primarily made up of Black Europeans who were serving the United States government, okay? Now, that does not mean that some of the Buffalo Soldiers were not, uh, Black Indians, uh, because as I go through this, you're going to see that uh, some of the Black Indians also assisted the Buffalo Soldiers, all right? So let's get into this with a little bit of technology here, all right? So we're just going to start with the typical Wikipedia definition Um And then I'm going to jump over real quick to uh, the History Channel. And I like to use these, quote, quote, publicly um, publications to kind of give both views of what's going on. And also, you can catch in these public publications where they, I would say, slip up. And I don't know if it's intentionally or not, or um, where they throw the truth in it as well, okay? So just so we're clear, I give both sides, of course, the hidden history, and then as well, I also go into uh, just the, I would say, mainstream publications. That's a better way to put it. Okay, to give you not only both takes, but also to show you how they bury the truth within their mainstream narrative. So this is off uh, of Wikipedia. Um, So this is saying Buffalo Soldiers originally were members of the 10th Cavalry Regiment of the United States Army, formed on September 21st, 1866 at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. This nickname was given to the Colored Cavalry by Native American tribes who fought in the Indian Wars. The term eventually became synonymous with all of the African-American regiments uh, formed in 1866. Okay, so here are the cavalries. The 9th Cavalry, the 10th, the 24th, the 25th, and the 38th Infantry. It says, uh, although several African American regiments were raised during the Civil War as part of the Union Army, including the 54th Massachusetts Volunteer Infantry and many United States Colored Troop regiments the Buffalo Soldiers were established by Congress as the first peacetime all-Black regiment in the U.S. Army, okay? All right, so uh, just give another disclosure. Those of you that are familiar with the podcast, uh, you already know. This disclaimer, but I have to put in here, anytime they throw in African-American, that is a general term used for all quote, quote, blacks or melanated people in America. Not all blacks slash melanated people in in America are African. As a matter of fact, it is the opposite. Very, very few are from Africa, most are either from Europe, yes, that is correct, Europe, and from America itself, as the original indigenous people. Very little were from Africa. We've done uh, research on this already. The records reflect that. Uh, based on how many African slaves were brought over to the U.S. or to the Americas. Uh, And of course, I am not the only one that has done that research. There has been many, many before me that has done an excellent job on that research. And currently, there are others that are doing an excellent job on that uh, research as well. So I want to be clear that any time you hear them use the term African-American, you have to lump in the categories, the three categories of indigenous, black Americans, aka Indians, okay, black Europeans, and then Africans. And Africans being the smallest group out of all three. Okay? The other disclosure I need to put in is that when they use the term Native American, when they are using it um they are really talking about the reclassification or aka the term $5 Indian where there was reclassification from the indigenous black americans or black indians to the status of negro and colored eventually african american who holds the title of native americans today are a mixed raced group of asians with spanish Uh, and probably some other things. I'm just gonna name Asian. Let's just go with Asian and Spanish for now, okay? All right, that is the face of the Native Americans today. A mixture of, they they are a mixed race group. They are not the original indigenous people of the Americas, all right? And again, we know this by the research documenting how the original indigenous people of the land looked, and it was not documented with the look of today's Native American. Okay, all right, so I just wanted to get that out the way with those disclaimers. So let's just really quick see what the um, History Channel had to say. Okay, and this is an absolutely great picture of the Buffalo Soldiers, okay? All right, so Buffalo Soldiers were African-American soldiers who mainly served on the western frontier following the American Civil War. In 1866, six all-Black cavalry and infantry Regiments were created after Congress passed the Army Organizational Act. Their main tasks were to help control the Native Americans of the plains, capture cattle, rustlers, and thieves, and protect settlers, stagecoaches, wagon trains, and railroad crews along the Western Front. Now, this is just me using logic if it would it not make more sense to have black slash melanated folks go and what i want to use their terms go help control the native americans of the plains would it not make more sense to have black slash melanated folks go and control other black slash melanated folks that they are calling the Native Americans? Because remember, Congress put together the Buffalo Soldiers, okay? So if Native Americans were... On the white side, this is just my opinion, my logic. Wouldn't have been a big deal for them to use white soldiers to do it. Now, that's my first opinion using logic. The second opinion in logic is, and backed up by a couple of accounts in history, that during the Civil War time, there weren't as many white people on the American soil as has been documented. And that is especially the case with white people in power, okay? Because the Civil War was the combination of, quote, quote, Black indentured servants, as well as white indentured servants, okay? And the Civil War also had um, black families that owned slaves, specifically black European families that owned slaves, as well as uh, Indian families, that black Indian families that owned slaves. Some of that was through war. Uh, Some of it was also through uh, family members. And the same can be said on the side of the black Europeans owning slaves also. And I'm using slaves and indentured servitude or servants synonymous. Now indentured servitude, could be one or two things, you could be an indentured servant based on you serving out a prison sentence, or you could be a indentured servant, which was a labor contract, okay? So I'm just giving you the backdrop of what really went on in the Civil War, which they're really, really not telling the truth. There is far from telling the truth. That's another topic for yet another discussion, and there's also others that are doing great work on uh, the Civil War as well. Okay, all right, so I just wanted to point that out, that out the gate, and I'm not gonna read through this whole thing because we're going to go into detail in just a, a little bit, but I just wanted to point out that in 1866, so that was right after the Civil War, like one year after this Civil War, that Congress put together the act to have the Buffalo Soldiers in place. And their main task were to control the Native Americans of the plains and to protect settlers out West. So to protect the settlers and protect them assets along the Western front. Okay, so I want us to be clear for whom the Buffalo Soldiers took their orders from and the purpose of them being put in place. Okay, all right, so let's get to the details here. Okay, now I found uh, this particular book. Uh, this is called. I don't think I could blow this up. Nope, I can't blow this up. Sorry, fam. Uh, so you all should be able to see it pretty clear. So, this is by Charles Rivers Buffalo Soldiers, the history and legacy of the black soldiers who fought in the U.S. Army during the Indian Wars. Again, I want us to be clear on. Who the Buffalo Soldiers were working for and what was their main task. All right. Okay, so let me get to my notes and marks. (laughs) All right, so of course, we're not going to read this whole book. So we're only going to read, go through passages that I pointed out, but you can certainly get the book Uh, Yourself, you can get it off of Amazon. All right, so troops were mustered into the newly formed 9th Cavalry Regiment between September 1866 and March 1867. This initial mustering was organized by Major Francis Moore. Now, you know, I side-eyed the name Moore. Mm -hmm. The Moors, Moore, that is the origin of the name Moore. M-O-O-R-E, so anybody carrying that surname, it is from the Moors, M-O-O-R-S, original origin out of Africa that also uh, went across the entire world, okay? And um, even into, so that means Europe, Asia, and then eventually the Americas, right? So now that's just me with my antenna's up. So this initial mustering was organized by Major Francis Moore of the 65th US Colored Infantry, Infantry and drew recru- recruits from New Orleans or New Orleans and the surrounding area. In late uh, autumn, recruiting efforts began in Kentucky. And ultimately, the regiment consisted solely of men from Louisiana and Kentucky. Now, that one threw me for a loop. I, I knew about Louisiana, but I didn't know about Kentucky uh, having uh, Buffalo soldiers or uh, where they recruited from. Okay. All right, sorry, y'all, let me get back to my notes so we won't have to go through it that way. All right, so by the end of March, the regiment was nearly full strength at 885 enlisted men with an average of over 70 to a troop. After being trained and with officers beginning to be given commands, the regiment was ordered to report to San Antonio, Texas, for more training. Troops L and M, however, were ordered directly to Brownsville, Texas, in order to take up their stations, and they would stay there for several years under the commandment of First Lieutenant J.M. Hamilton. Right, So they show a picture of Hamilton here. Uh, so he's a Caucasian man, and then they also show a picture of Merritt. Uh, I think he was another leader as well, a Caucasian man. Okay, excuse me. Okay, so this is, uh, let's go to the next note. In early June 1867, the 9th Cavalry was ordered to western and southwestern Texas, a vast unsettled territory from Fort Clark to El Paso and from the Rio Grande to Concho. So, and forgive me, y'all, if I'm not pronouncing concho properly. So, the key that we need to pay attention to, you know when they say unsettled, that basically mean has not been colonized. Okay? All right. Hutchinson noted, by the time the regiment was deemed sufficiently well-organized equipped and disciplined to be sent to extreme frontier and capable of undergoing the long and trying march into the wild and unsettled country that lay before it. The headquarters troop and troops A, B, E and K under Hatch were sent to Fort Stockton, some uh, 240 miles east of El Paso. Lieutenant Colonel Merritt commanded troops C-D-F-G-H and I at Fort Davis located to the uh, west of Fort Stockton, okay? And also those of you that are researching your um, genealogy, uh, and I'm, I'm sure um, whoever you're researching it with, if you are getting assistance, are also hitting up those military records, Take a look at those military records, and you can see if your folks served in uh, some of these wars as well. Okay? All right. Where is my... uh, There it is. All righty. So we are on this one, I think. All right. So I just pulled this up because I wanted you all to see that uh, the Buffalo soldiers, they have their own crest. Sorry, I can't blow up the crest, y'all, because I'm literally in, in a book. But you see, it has the Buffalo up here. Now, this one tripped me out, y'all. That's an Indian war bonnet. And you see the stripes underneath it, like the, uh, the, the stripes that be on the American flag. And then they have a sword, sword, two swords on there in the shape of an X. So I don't know if this meant a Indian confederacy. I don't know that for sure. But notice on the other side of it, you see the crests that are the different symbols rather that are used. And the European crest, okay. So you see the lion, okay, and it and the lion it has an esoteric meaning, and it ties back to different kingdoms. And you can go back and look at the different European crests, and you will see this lion represented on a lot of uh, crests, as and um, also on. European nobility crest, and that's including the original um, European nobility, which is the Black Europeans' early crest as well. And then you see on here, um, I don't know, it looks like the rook piece from the chessboard, or you can look at it as a castle tower. And then what's holding that together is the, the floor, Piece uh, or the flower piece, the France flower piece. Okay. But nonetheless, this square of this crest is truly, truly European. Okay. And then below it, you have a triangle with the sun. And that's truly, purely esoteric and probably uh, some sort of secret society organization. Okay, so I was kind of thrown back when I saw this Buffalo Soldiers crest. Now, remember, all crests have to be approved. Okay, so this is the official crest of the Buffalo Soldiers. And it pretty much tells a good picture to me of what it was all about. Okay, so but the Buffalo, which is what they were nicknamed or called the Buffalo Soldiers, Okay, now, I don't know what the buffalo is standing on. It looks like a, a rope. I don't know if this is a rope or road on black and gold. That probably means something because that's also the black and gold colors on that uh, pyramid with the um, the sun on it. Okay, so the buffalo is representing the buffalo soldiers. This Indian war bonnet, Uh, Not sure if that means them being at war with the Indians or if it means that there were some Indians who were partnered up with the European Kingdom and the Buffalo Soldiers. Okay, so hence why it has the war bonnet and then the uh, red stripes with the um oh that's arrows that's not even swords my bad so i take that back the x that's not even uh swords those are indian arrowheads or the the tomahawk i think it's called okay so i don't know if that's what this indian bonnet means i i'm assuming that it does mean that, that you had some indians who were partnered with the European kingdoms and with the Buffalo Soldiers. Okay. All right. So I wanted to show the fam that uh Buffalo Soldiers logo. Yep, we just went over that. Okay. So the 10th Calvary's coat of arms. The other Black Cavalry uh, Regiment, the 10th, was organized on the order of Lieutenant General William Teshmish Sherman. So William Sherman. The legendary Civil War general then in command of the Military District of Mississippi on August 9, 1866. Child, let me sip my water. So y'all pick that up. The other Black Cavalry Regiment, the 10th, was organized on the order of who? Lieutenant Sherman, the legendary Civil War general, then in command of the Military District of the Mississippi on August 9th, 1866. I, commanders of the military department within this division in which colored troops are serving, will proceed at once to enlist men for two regiments of colored regulars under the Act of Congress approved July 28, 1866, entitled an Act to Increase and Fix the Military Peace Establishment of the United States, one of the cavalry to be entitled the 10th Regiment, United States Cavalry. Uh, Second, two, 4th Leavenworth, Kansas is hereby named as the headquarter and rendezvous of the 10th Cavalry. Three, commanding generals of the Department of Missouri, Arkansas, and Platt will detail one or more officers of the regular army. Who will proceed to canvas the regiments of colored troops now serving in their respective departments and enlist men for the new regiments above named the cavalry for five years and the infantry for three years the men so enlisted will be discharged from their present obligation and grouped into companies under officers to be selected by the colonels or regimental commanders hereafter to be appointed, but will be retained for the present at or near their present station. The number of privates allowed to accompany is 64. Okay. So, uh, those of you that are doing your genealogy, when you're running across the military records, um, you know, if, if your folks are coming out of uh, Missouri, Arkansas, Platte, uh check the reg- regimes because they may have been Buffalo soldiers. So I'm just going to jump back and just give you, uh, uh, in Kansas, I'm sorry, so out of Kansas as well. So remember, they hit the 9th, Calvary, the 10th, the 24th, the 25th, and the 38th. Okay, so yes, so any, y'all checking the military records and you run across your people serving, coming out of uh, Kansas, Leavenworth, coming out of Missouri, coming out of Arkansas and Platte, check them regimes. And, and if they, you know, fit those categories, then they were Buffalo Soldiers. Okay, so let's go to the next one. All right, I did the coat of arms do 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 Okay, there we go. Okay, I just did that one. All righty. Okay, I must have tagged it twice. All right. Okay, so here um, they're showing a monument of the Buffalo Soldier in... Um, This is Kansas, Fort Leavenworth, okay? Uh, So the first report on the regiment dated September 30th, 1866, placed the number of recruits required to form the regiment at 1092. At the time, the sole member of the regiment were two officers, including commanding Officer Colonel Benjamin H. Grierson, John Bigelow, noted of Grierson, the first commander of the 10th Cavalry is doubtless known known personally as well as by reputation to most of the readers of this sketch. His raid through Mississippi in 1863 is the historic operation on which his reputation chiefly rests. It has placed him among the foremost cavalry leaders of the war and seems destined as it becomes better known and more justly appreciated to add honor and distinction to his name. Grierson may have been known for operations that helped cut off the Confederates in Vicksburg from the outside world, but he was all he was about to become notorious among his peers, not only for leading and supporting black soldiers, but also for not being militant uh, militantly hostile towards Native Americans. Okay. All right. righty. Okay. Sorry, yeah. I'm just trying now. To... I think this is it. Okay, so the 24th Colored Infantry Regiment had its origins in two regiments established under the Act of July 28, 1866, the 38th and the 44th Regiments. All of the officers for both regiments had seen service during the Civil War with either the regular or volunteer forces. The 38th was commanded by Colonel William B. Hazen with the officers, including Lieutenant Colonel Cuvier Grover and Major Henry C. Merriam. The, the 41st was commanded by Colonel Ronald S. McKenzie, Lieutenant Colonel Williams R. Shafter, And Major George Schofield. Oh my God, I actually know a Schofield. Very, very interesting. I'm just trying to make sure I didn't miss anything. I think I did. Okay, so let me go back. Uh, I think I jumped down a little bit too much, so bear with me. I jumped down. Yep, let me make sure. No, it says I didn't. Okay. Okay. Sorry, I wish this did a little bit better than this. I'm just making sure. All right, just making sure. I don't know why it tags it a couple of times like that. So bear with me, just making sure I'm not missing any of my notes. Okay, the Army posted troops on of the 38th along the Transcontinental Railroad Line and in New Mexico, while the 41st was in Louisiana and Texas at the time. The 38th and 41st regiments were consolidated in legislation on March 3, 1869. The two regiments became the 24th Infantry, with Colonel Ronald S. McKenzie as commander along with uh, Lieutenant Colonel R. Uh, William R. Shafter and Major Henry C. Merriam. In May 1870, the Army ordered their regiment to San Antonio, Texas. From there, its troops were distributed among Fort Bliss, Fort Clark, Fort Davis, and Fort Stockton. As with the 9th Cavalry Union, Unit the twenty fifth orders were to provide border security, build roads and telegraph lines, and occasional operations against bands of Indians. Okay, so that's what the twenty fifth, uh, well I guess the ninth, the ninth cavalry unit unit had partnered up with the, uh, some other units. And they were protecting the borders and building roads and telegraph lines, okay? Okay, the 39th and 40 regimes, regiments, were established under the Act of 1866. And so throughout this entire book family, they are very, very specific in detail on how the Buffalo Soldiers Regiments were made up, I mean, extremely detailed, okay? Uh, So if you want those specifics, it's it's a very good read. By general orders issued from the Army headquarters in May 1869, the 25th Infantry Colored was to be composed of the 39th and 40 regiments. The 39th, now in North Carolina, will be relieved as soon as possible and proceed to New Orleans there to be consolidated with the 40th now in the Department of Louisiana. So also I want you all to note, and the reason I'm highlighting this and going through um, some of these consolidations is to just show you how they were taking existing quote, quote, colored black, melanated soldiers from the Civil War into the Buffalo Soldiers um, Regiment, okay? So meaning it wasn't like the Buffalo Soldiers were just freshly picked and did not have any form of military service, all right? The Buffalo Soldiers regime was coming from the um civil war okay so they were already civil war veterans let's say okay which would also make sense why they were so good okay so they already had military training the 39th now in north carolina will be relieved soon as possible and will now proceed to new orleans there to be consolidated with the 40th now in the department of louisiana the field officers will be joseph a Maurer, colonel Edward w hinks lieutenant colonel zenus r bliss major according to george andrews in may 1870 the regiment was on its way to that department going to the steamer to indianola texas thus marching to San Antonio. Colonel Blitz with companies B, C, and G arrived at the later place on June 3rd and and encamped at San Pedro Springs where they were joined by the rest of the regiment under General, General Hicks on the 9th. The march to the station begun June 22nd. The main body took the Fort Clark Road, while Company C and H diverge on the road to Fort McCavitt at Rio Freo. Companies E and I marched to Fort Duncan under Colonel Blitz. July found headquarters D and F established at Fort Clark, Company K at Fort Stockton, Company A and G at Fort Davis. Company B did not reach its distinct station Fort Quitman until August, okay? So, uh, sorry, I cannot blow up this picture, fam, but they are trying to show you, so you can pause the screen. And they're uh, showing you any place with an X uh, where the service in the Indian Wars took place, okay? So as you can see, this was west of the Mississippi for sure, okay? All right. Okay, uh, and then they give the dates down here. I think it says uh, 1860, The tra- I'm sorry, it says the Trans Mississippi West Ports, Tribes and Battles of the Indians, Indian Wars. And this was, looks like 1860 through 1890. Okay, so you can pause this and blow up the map and you can see all the places with the X where the Indian Wars took place. All right, and plus they put on here the tribes. Okay, so you all really may wanna pause this and blow it up. I'll see if I can... um, get a picture of this and um, put it in the final slideshow for you all. I'll, I'll see if I can do that for you because that that is pretty good to know on where these battles were taking place with the US government and um, the Indian tribes the the specific tribe names. okay so if, if saying a map of the various sites where battles were fought during the Indian Wars, Once deployed across the West, the regiments were engaged in scouting and patrolling their assigned areas of the frontier. They provided security for new settlers as well as building necessary infrastructure such as roads and telegraph lines. Okay, so let me pause here for a second. Gotta go do something, I'll be right. All right, here we go. So. Uh, So I'll just read that again. Bear with me. Once deployed across the West, the uh, regiments were engaged in scouting and patrolling their assigned areas of the frontier. They provided security for new settlers as well as building necessary infrastructure such as roads and telegraph lines. Okay, so now this also... Needs to, we need to take note of these buffalo soldiers. Oh, okay. So they knew how to build stuff and put up telegraph lines. Mm. Okay, then. So they also continued their training, spending hours on drills, inspection. Parades and the care and maintenance of their horses and equipment. Over time, the Buffalo soldiers were engaged in more than 125 battles with various native groups, including the Cheyenne, Apache, Kiowa, Utes, Comanche, and Sioux the regiments were often asked to return hostile tribes to their reservations. An activity that certainly presented a moral dilemma for forces consisting mostly of recently freed slaves. Boom, let's stop. Because they said a lot in this section. So, the, they again, I want us to always note who the Buffalo soldiers were working for. They were working for the United States government. They were in the military services. They were just coming from the Civil War and were reassigned into service as Buffalo so- soldiers. well they, that's what they were nicknamed Buffalo Soldiers. And they were engaged in more than 125 battles with various Indian tribes. So the map on the left, you again, you can pause the video and you can look at the various tribes, Indian tribes, that the Buffalo Soldiers were, went to war with. So, you see, I see on here Pawnee, Navajo, uh, the ones my old eyes can read, y'all. The Bannocks, Blackfeet, the Comanche, okay? And those are the ones my old eyes can read. I got to put on the readers, honey, <laughs> to get to the other ones, all right? Now, the other thing I want us to pay attention on this, because this is me going to use my logical reasoning. This is me using logical reasoning, plus putting together what I have researched as what true history is when they talk about this moral dilemma for forces consistent of mostly freed slaves. Okay, remember in the beginning I talked about what that definition of slaves is. It's multiple categories. Okay, because they categorized slavery, they included indentured servants. So, indentured servants, remember, were made up of white Europeans and black Europeans that came over to the Americas on a labor contract. A labor contract no more than seven years. And then it also consisted of folks that were coming out to serve a prison sentence. Okay? Indentured servants were relabeled in the story of the early American settlement or early American colonization, it was relabeled as slavery, okay? Now that's not to say that there were not some that were truly being held against their will as slaves, okay? And then you also had the African in there uh, as well, okay? But very little Africans. So, if you fit into this category as of slave, wouldn't it make sense? Heck, yeah, you had a, a dilemma on returning those Indians to their reservations. You better believe they had reservations. You would think they would have. A dilemma, let's uh, let me restate that. You would think that the black buffalo soldiers had a dilemma with returning those Indians, or they call them the hostile tribes, to their reservations, where them them the, they just came out of fighting a civil war. Okay. Now, that's just me using deductive reasoning. So that would mean to me you have black folk fighting against black folk. So it should be a dilemma. If I am a black person slash melanated person that just got myself out of a situation of indentured servitude, That I just got myself out of that situation via a civil war. And now I'm in another war because I have now signed up. Although during the civil war, I also signed up with the U.S. government. And now my new assignment is to fight against other black folk named Indians reclassified today as Native Americans to put them back on reservations. So just to say that again, Sure, there would be a dilemma for these black Buffalo soldiers who are who had just came out, out of the Civil War, right? They just came off of the plantations, right? They just came off of the plantations via the Civil War. And it doesn't matter why they were on the plantation, whether or not it was an indenture servant contract or some form of slavery only for them to get reassigned to return hostile black Indians to their reservations. Okay? Hence why, in my opinion, they put together the Buffalo Soldiers To begin with, okay? So having other blacks slash melanated people fight amongst each other, one fighting on the side on the behalf of the U.S. government slash corporation, and the others fighting for their land. Okay? Let's continue. An example of the activities of the regiments of Buffalo Soldiers along the frontier was provided for the 9th Cavalry by Hutchinson in his historical sketch of the regiment. During the regiment's eight years in Texas, the regiment spent the greatest portion of the time in the field, patrolling the vast stretches of prairie and innumerable scouts, after depredating pre- de- Indians and gradually freeing the country from this scourge of settlers, Hutchinson lists the following engagements for the 9th Cavalry. Okay, so I'm not going to go into that. What note did I have? Yeah, I just put uh, battle Indian tribes. Okay, just making sure. So you, I mean, I'm not going to go into the uh, specific, Uh, battle, but I just wanted to make clear, again, what they were really doing, okay, what their assignment really was, okay, um, ah, dang, I wish, all right, I think that's gonna be the same thing we went over, yep, battling with the Indian tribes, okay, I think this is the next one, I don't know why it does that, it creates, um, I don't know why it creates them same. it tags stuff three, four times. All right. In the latter part of 1875, the ninth Cavalry was transferred to New Mexico and headquartered at Santa Fe. The troops were scattered all over the territory, engaging in the same duties as in Texas, which brought them in the forefront of the Apache Wars. Okay, all right, so let's be clear. We're talking to Buffalo Soldiers. We're also engaged in the Apache Wars. The Apache have achieved almost legendary status for their fierceness and their tenacity in fighting the U.S. Army. Names like Nana, Cochise, and Geronimo are synonymous with bravery and daring. And the tribe had that reputation long before the Americans arrived. Indeed, among all Native American tribes, the Spanish, Mexicans, and Americans learned the hard way that the warriors of the Apache were perhaps the fiercest in North America. And just side note, um, if I'm not mistaken, James Brown said his lineage is Apache- And even the Native Americans today uh, recognize him as such. So just as a side note, okay. So based in the Southwest, the Apache fought all three in Mexico and the American Southwest, engaging in seasonal raids for so many centuries that the Apache struck fear in the hearts of all their neighbors. So, baby, the Apaches was about that life. Now, notice they said for many centuries. Given the group's reputation, it's fitting that they are inextricably associated with one of their most famous leaders, Geronimo. Descendants of people killed by hostile Apache certainly considered warriors like Geronimo to be murderers and thieves, whose cultures and societies held no redeeming values. And even today, many Americans associate the name Geronimo with a war cry. The name Geronimo actually came about because of a battle he fought against the Mexicans. Hey, So, I mean, uh, depending on, I guess, him being known as hostile, I guess that would be from the perspective of the settlers and the uh, co- and, and colonization. Because, I mean, I, I don't look at him as hostile. Y'all was taking over his people's stuff. Okay? But over time, however, the historical perception of the relationship between America and Native tribes changed drastically. With that, Ger- Geronimo was viewed in a far different light as one of the number of Native tribe leaders who resisted the U.S. and Mexican governments when settlers, I say, when colonization began to push on their traditional homelands. Like the majority of Native American groups, the Apache were eventually vanquished and displaced by Americans' westward push. And Geronimo became an icon for eluding capture for so long. In August 1879, while leading about 200 warriors and many women and children, the Apache chief Victorio headed for Oro Caliente, where they had lived and prospered before being sent to the reservation. Okay, so I hope y'all peep and gang, what's going on? Okay, because the U.S. government slash corporation is coming out west to set up shop or aka, which is really colonization, and they're sending out their settlers. And no, even though settlers are a combination of uh two groups, okay, combination of Black Europeans who were granted land, and even soldiers, even soldiers, and then the white settlers, okay, which were some of them were soldiers also, okay? All right. So um, the point I was trying to make to that is that as they were having these groups go out to settle the West, hence the settlers, the indigenous Indians weren't having it. They clashed with a small patrol of Buffalo soldiers. Uh, This is the Apache killing five, and then setting out to raid the local settlers, taking out several of them. Soon, large columns of U.S. cavalry were scouring the countryside for the runways. On September 18th at Las Animas Caña, Victorio fought a brilliant battle against pursuing cavalry that amply demonstrated the Apache's genius for using the terrain to their advantage. The band was being followed by two companies of Buffalo soldiers in the black mountains of New Mexico. The Apache deliberately left a trail through a river gorge. They encircled back and hid in the high grounds to both sides. The, troop, the troops led by four Navajo guides, entered the canyon. The Navajo sensed the trap, but the officer in charge, Captain Byron Dawson, urged his men forward. Okay, so this part, I want y'all to peep game that whoever these four Navajo guides were, obviously, which would make sense because if you are a settler, you ain't familiar with that territory. So that would mean you would need guides, and this these, this these four guides were from the Navajo tribe. So hence my point that you did have Indians assisting the United States government's military services. Okay? The first they knew of Apaches was a, a fusillade of bullets coming in from seemingly all directions. There was little cover and the men had to hide behind their horses who were soon falling at an alarming rate. By noon, the men were running low on ammunition when they were reinforced by two more companies of troops and some volunteers from a nearby mining camp. Peep game, peep game. So let's be clear. They were also out in the West mining. You know, hitting up them ancient tree roots for the silver and gold, silver and gold, and other precious minerals. This force was similarly pined down and the battle only ended with the coming of night. Child, that was a drop down drag out. While losses were fairly low, two scouts, one civilian and three cavalry men took out the column, had lost many of their mounts and were forced to leave much of their supplies behind. Victorio grabbed the much needed food and blankets and hurried away. Victorio continued to run the cavalry ragged, eluding several columns in Arizona and New Mexico, and fighting several skirmishes in which he already came out the victor, or at least not the loser. Kwe Kala remember one amusing incident while on the march. Nana, one of Victorio's assistants, had told the thirsty Apache not to drink from, the, from a certain stream. And they soon found out why when they stopped to fight the pursuing soldiers. The cavalry had drank the water Nana had forbidden us to touch, and so had their horses. Both had become ill from a laxative effect and were weakened until they could hardly travel. We had not poisoned that spring. The illness was called by a natural mineral that this time operated in our favor. The troops were easily beaten back. Now, I put a notation here because when I was um, watching uh, the series Godless and the first scene with the Buffalo Soldiers, the settlers... The settlers, and in this case, they're having all of the settlers be Caucasian, of course, um, had came to um, talk to the Buffalo Soldiers and pretty much try to strike a deal with them to not partner up. Let me take that back. Some white businessmen from out east came to talk to the Buffalo Soldiers to strike a deal with them telling them to not hook up and protect the caucasian settlers or partner up with the caucasian settlers who were mining and the buffalo soldiers was like yeah can, we can't stand them anyway because they they're mining is poisoning our land where we can hardly grow anything. So when I saw this, I immediately thought back to what they put in the Netflix series, Godless. Okay, so the runoff from the mining operation uh, was leaking into, so those minerals were leaking into the grounds and the water supply. All right. So all this fighting was wearing down his band, however. While the soldiers had an exhaustible supply of ammunition and reinforcement, every bullet the Apaches fired had to be replaced with another raid, and the dead warriors could never be replaced. Eventually, Victorio led the remnants of his band into Mexico, where he was cornered on October 14, 1880. He and most of his band were, dang, G-U-N-N-E-D, down. Trying to get around censorship, because sometimes you two can get sensitive with that. This last fight was mostly one-sided. Victorio's men were all but out ammunitioned. Only a few warriors managed to break away to fight another day. The death of Victorio was the beginning of the end for the Apaches' resistance, at least until Geronimo left the reservation and engaged in his legendary campaign a few years later. All throughout that time, various troops of Buffalo soldiers fought the Apache in an effort to keep them on reservations. So I'm going to read that again so we are clear. All throughout that time, various troops of Buffalo soldiers fought the Apache in an effort to keep them on reservations. Hutchinson outlined just how heavy the action was near the end of 1870s. Um, And I'm just going to read just a um, couple of excerpts from what Hutchinson accounted. 1876, April 15th, in the Florida mountains, Troop F, one up, one Indian taken out, and eleven horses captured. September second in Chillachillo Negro Mountains, y'all catch that? And it's called Negro Mountains. Detachment of troops C and E under Lieutenant Wright, small camp captured, under number of lodges destroyed. 1877 January. Florida mountains, nine men under Lieutenant Wright taken out Indians and captured six horses. January 28th, Sierra Boca Grand Mountains, Mexico, detachment of Troops C and A captured a small camp. Uh, 1878 of August, Dog Canyon, New Mexico. Troop H was engaged 1879, uh, January 15, Troop A under Lieutenant Day was engaged and captured a number of horses and mules. March 8th, Oro Caliente Troop Troop I, May 28th, in Black Range Troop C and I under Captain Bayer captured a a camp and 16 horses, losing one man Taken out and two wounded. September 4th, Oro Caliente, four men taken out. So y'all get uh, where that's going. I'm not going to read the rest of that. So I just wanted to um, give you just some accounts of what dude was talking about regarding uh, the fight between the Apache and the Buffalo Soldiers. All right. Okay. So... All right, so now I got to try to remember. So, that's 1876. Sorry, y'all. Okay, next certificate. Effect. Yep, we went over that. Oh, let me see. Did I have something on here? Okay, I don't think I had anything on there. Nope. Oh, I see what it did. Okay, so let's go with... um, This is... Serving with distinction during their service in the West, many Buffalo soldiers acted with extreme valor, including several who were awarded the Medal of Honor. The first black soldier in the regular army awarded the Medal of Honor was Sergeant Emmanuel Stance in June 1870. Stance was born in Carroll Parish, Louisiana, and though the exact date is unknown, the most common year mentioned is 1847. He enlisted in the 9th Calvary on October 2nd, 1866 for a five-year term of service. His enlistment papers indicated his occupation was farmer. Now, I want y'all to peep game. This is why I highlighted this. I want you to peep game because those of you that are doing your genealogy research, when you get to those census records, it's gonna tell you the race of your ancestors and it's also gonna state the occupation, okay? Now, I know personally in my folk genealogy records, We were listed as farmers. Now, I want you to peep game of what's going to happen here. His enlistment papers indicated his occupation was a farmer. A term often used by the Army to designate a former slave. They are a liar. They are a liar. On the census records, it also lists race, sex, age, what position in the family you were, meaning wife, husband, child, sometimes nephew was on there, sister in law was on there, and it listed occupation. And farmer is listed on the census. Now they want to throw this in there. To once again reinforce a story of slavery. When as I told you all throughout this particular. Podcast. That slavery. Was a mixture of things you had folks that were on the plantation under labor contract known as indentured servants who were farmers. Okay. So they are a liar. This peep, this man, that's what he was. He was a farmer. Okay. It's not something that I am guessing. It's not something that it is my opinion I know because it's on my family's records prior to the Civil War and after the Civil War, okay? So blood should have just left that on out of here, but that's what they have to do in order to reinforce the official story of slavery, which is not accurate. All right. So a term often used by the army to designate a former slave, but the papers also recorded that he can read and write. And actually, thank you for that, because it also notes on the census on whether or not folks could read and read and write. Show do, show do, show do. This must have made him stand out among his fellow recruits because Stance received a promotion to the rank of sergeant in March 1867. Okay, so do you understand why they had to throw in there, oh, no farm, no, he was a farmer. No, but see, you know, they really, uh, the army really put on there that he was a farmer, which really meant he was a slave. Oh, okay, then. So the, the army really was using code that he was a slave. The code was that he was a farmer, and this slave also could happen to read two years after slavery supposedly ended in 16, 1865. Oh, okay, then. No, fam. Those of you that are doing your genealogy and you go back to them census records, you know that it lists occupation and farmer is on there, okay, which if most melanated people do their genealogy, they're going to see farmer or whatever their people's occupation was on those census records, okay? And maybe some will see slave. I can't account for what anybody else will see on their records. I'm just stating what I have seen on mine and what others have said they've seen on theirs, okay? All right, because some of them even come back saying blacksmith um, as well. Okay, so um, it was during this time that Stans engaged in the actions that were to earn him the Medal of Honor. Catherine Reeves summarized the action. On May 9th, Stans led a detachment of 10 privates towards a Native American village approximately 14 miles from the fort where the Kickapoo were holding two children captured during the raid on a white settlement. Now, let me stop here once again. Um, as I'm watching the Netflix series, Godless, they showed a scene, and that scene was rough to watch, fam, of uh, this white settler, or Caucasian settler. She almost drowned And um, she got washed up on the shore. So she was passed out. And then she was uh, uh, woken up by this tribe. And the tribe, for whatever reason, and I don't know if this is in code. I don't know if this is in code this tribe had a buffalo heads on, okay? But they were clearly depicting them as a tribe, I'm assuming an Indian tribe. So I don't know if this was code of what they were trying to say to buffalo soldiers, I don't know, or if they're saying another Indian tribe. She was anyhow woken up by an Indian tribe and then they cut her, And it was uh, Indian tribe men pushed her down and then started violating her. And then these other white settlers were uh, coming through with their horse and stuff. Oh, but before I say that, this particular tribe with these buffalo heads on, as they were violating this uh, Caucasian lady, they had other white settlers that they had captured because the other white settlers were looking and they just, just looking. You could tell that they were captured because they hit the ropes around their arms. They had children and women. Can't remember if I saw any men in there. So, as these, um, this Indian tribe was violating this Caucasian lady, a um, other white settlers were walking through, and they saw it. To so other white settlers walking through, and saw it, and so they gunned down that Indian tribe, and they took the rescued the Caucasian lady, and then they took her back in their town or their settlement, and this is the same town where the Buffalo soldiers. Were getting the runoff water because this town was doing mining but anyhow um they took took the Caucasian lady into their town or their new settlement and had uh other this other Indian tribe take care of her okay so I just wanted to put that in perspective that of what they're showing in this Netflix series called Godless. All right, so the Kickapoo were holding, Kickapoo were holding two children captured during a raid on a white settlement. In route, the rescue part surprised a band of Indians leading a herd of stolen horses. Stans formed his men into a line, and upon his order, they raised their weapons and charged. The Indians scattered and the soldiers recaptured nine horses. The Buffalo soldiers camped for the night and in the morning set out again. Soon, however, they encountered a band of Kickapoo warriors and engaged them in combat. The soldiers fought the Indians off, not just at this time, but also later in the day when when the same band caught up with them to retaliate. Stans also confiscated six more horses and before the day was over, he led his men to the Kickapoo village and rescued the two boys there. Okay, so this is just um, giving an example of the Kickapoo um, because they're in war. Okay, so in war you have prisoners of war, right? Okay, so this is giving an example of how the settlers, the white settlers were involved in these Indian Wars as well and how the Buffalo Soldiers had to uh, go and, well, what tipped them off really was the stolen horse, horses because remember one of the duties of the Buffalo Soldiers were not only to protect the white settlers, but also to protect property as well and protect the borders okay, which hence to me is the reason why they formed the Buffalo Soldiers uh, Regiment was because the indigenous Indians were black slash melanated and the Buffalo Soldiers were black slash melanated, okay, so let me uh, go on, yeah, it's just probably easier, y'all, for me to just go this way, all right, so another Buffalo soldier to receive the Medal of Honor during the Indian Wars was Henry Johnson, who was born on June 11, 1850, in Boyton, Virginia. Living in Detroit after the Civil War, he enlisted in the Army and was one of the early members of the F Troop of the 10th Cavalry. While with the 10th Cavalry, he fought against the Cheyenne on the Republican River. And, you know, it's just interesting. Um, one of my baby cousins, her daughter, she named her daughter Cheyenne. And she literally spells it this way. Uh, she just doesn't have the two N's in there. So I'm going to have to ask her, if this, does she know where that name is? originated from. That's interesting. But anyhow, sorry. (laughs) Transferred to the 9th Cavalry, he joined D Troop in June 1877 at Fort Wallace and received a promotion to sergeant. The actions that earned Johnson the Medal of Honor occurred around the Meeker Massacre. On September 29, 1879, a group of Uti warriors led by Chief Coloro, ambushed a group of 175 soldiers and militia near Milk Creek. Around the same time, Uti warriors attacked and killed the Indian Indian agent Nathan Meeker along with his white employees at the Uti reservation. So are y'all getting the theme here? So here you have those. Indians, and they didn't reclassify them as Native American Indians, but they were really highly melanated, aka black Indians, were attacking the quote, quote, settlers. In this particular instance, they're saying the white settlers. Okay, so again, this is my theory, I am using reasoning, is the reason why the Buffalo Soldiers, which comprise of uh, black military, was put together, all right, to go up against these Indians, okay, so in other words, black on black. Troops near Milk Creek created a perimeter and held off the attacking of Uti's until help arrived. Captain Francis Dodge, Sergeant Johnson, and the 30 soldiers of D Troop arrived, <coughs> excuse me, on October 2nd, 1879. And over the next several days, all of D Troop's horses were killed except for four. Johnson had the responsibility of securing the outpost, defending the encampment, making numerous rounds to meet the men, manning the outpost while under heavy fire from the Utes the, the, the besieged force was finally relieved on October 1890 by five troops from the 5th Cavalry. Okay, so um, not only am I going through some of these honors uh, to show you the U.S. government recognizing the Buffalo Soldiers, Uh, but also just showing you the encounters that they had with the Indians. Let's see what note did I put there. Yeah, okay, we know that. All right. After the arrival of the 5th Cavalry, Johnson and the D Troop left for New Mexico, and for the next two years, Johnson participated in operations against the Apache as part of Victorio's war. Discharged in 1883, he re-enlisted two months later with the 10th Cavalry and was stationed at Fort Grant, where he engaged in further operations against the Apaches. In 1888, his five-year enlistment ended, and he re-enlisted again, this time in K Troop of the 9th Cavalry. He served two more terms of enlistment before finally retiring in 1898. Okay, I was just making sure I am recording. I don't know why I got paranoid. (laughs) Before finally retiring in 1898, just before before the troop was deployed. Now, child, get ready, honey. Now, this could have just been me and my lack of knowledge. But, baby, I didn't know the uh, Buffalo Soldiers was all up in Cuba. Get ready, honey. I did not know all of this. All right, so uh, just before the troop was deployed to Cuba for service during the Spanish-American War. He died on January 31st, 1904 and is buried in Arlington National Cemetery, okay? So that's a high honor among the military to be buried in Arlington. This is a black melanated man. OK, who fought on behalf of the United States government against the American Indians. Most of the officers leading their regiments of Buffalo soldiers were white, while the non-commissioned officers were black. This state of affairs would not change much over time, but there were instances of black officers leading the Buffalo Soldiers, all right? The first black commissioned officer to lead men in the 10th Cavalry was Lieutenant Henry O. Flipper. Flipper was born on March 21st, 1856 in Thomasville, Georgia. And after the Civil War... Flipper received an education at schools operated by the American Missionary Association, an organization established to support the transition of former slaves. Now, I'm side-eyeing that former slave title, and I've already stated to you why, in their new status as freedmen. Mm Okay. Okay. He entered Atlanta University as one of the first colleges in the South established for education of freedmen in 1869. Okay? So he was born in Georgia 1856. Then the American missionary educated him. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Blink 75 times. Blink 75 times. Then he went to Atlanta University. Those of you in the ATL, you indigenous ATLians. Y'all know where Atlanta University is located and all that types of jazz. And it was established in eighteen sixty-nine for the freed men. In January 1873, Flipper wrote Congressman James C. Freeman. Uh-huh. Y'all peeping the last name. I hope you're peeping game. that them supposedly and allegedly former slaves, and as I've said throughout this broadcast, that slave title is a mixture of prisoners of war and folks that were on indentured servant contracts from Europe, white folk and black folk, as either employment contracts that lasted for seven years or they were serving out a prison sentence. Okay? That is what that slave title encompasses. All right? So meaning on those plantations, you would have black folk and white folk working side by side. And in the black folk category, it would be black Europeans and black Indians working side by side on them plantations. And the plantation owners could be black folk, either black Europeans and in some case black Indians and in some case white Caucasian Europeans. Uh Uh-huh. But that's not the side of history that they tell you. So that free man title could actually B, including some white folks as well. I know this because, once again, when you look at the freedmen records, when you look at the freedmen records in each state, when you look at the freedmen records in each state, you see some white people on there as well. And that would make sense. If they was on them plantations too. Okay? So Peep gained this title Freeman when you also had white people holding that uh, surname as well. Right? So in January 1873, and I, heck, I don't even know if James C. Freeman is a white man. Could be a melanated man, but I'm just giving you game that all freedmen were not. Melanated slash black. In January 1873, Flipper wrote Congressman James C. Freeman, himself a former planter and slaveholder who had become a Republican, and requested an appointment to West Point. On January 23rd, 1873, Freeman responded. Your letter of the 21st asking me as a member elect to Congress from this state to appoint you cadet to West Point was received this morning. You are a stranger to me, and before I can comply with your request, you must get your teacher, Mr. James L. Dunning, PM, Colonel H.P. Fanor, and other Republicans to endorse for you. Give me assurance you are worthy and well qualified, and I will recommend you. There was an exchange of correspondence between the two men, but unfortunately, in his memoir, "The Color Cadet at West Point," Flipper did not. Flipper did not <sighs> Flipper did not, <sighs> Flipper did not rep- reprint his letters to the Congressman. He did, however, reprint Freeman's responses. On March 22nd, 1873, Freeman wrote, on my arrival from Washington, I found your letter of, of the 19th. I have received an invitation from the War Department to appoint or nominate a legally qualified cadet to the United States Military Academy from my district. As you were the first applicant, I am disposed to give you the first chance, but the requirements are rigid and strict, and I think you have best come down and see them. If after reading them, you think you can undergo the examination without doubt, I will nominate you, but I do not want my nominee to fail to get in. Okay, so he basically prettied up his response is what they saying in his little memoir um on March 26 1873 Freeman wrote to Flipper Your letter of the 24th to hand and contents noted while your education may be sufficient it requires many other qualifications such as age height form etc soundness of lungs limbs etc I will send you up the requirements if you desire them and call upon three competent gentlemen to examine you if you desire it. Let me hear from you again on the subject. There were two more, there were more letters exchanged with Freeman becoming more convinced with each one of Flipper's fitness to enter West Point. Now remember, this is a a black man trying to get into West Point. On April 17, 1873, Freeman wrote Flipper, enclosing a letter from the War Department. You are hereby informed that the President has conditionally selected you for appointment as a cadet of the United States Military Academy at West Point. So this is 1873. Should you desire the appointment, you will report in person to the superintendent of the Academy between the 20th and 25th days of uh, 1873, May 1873, when if found on due examination to possess the qualifications required by law and set forth in the circular hereunto appended, you will be admitted with pay from July 1st, 1873 to serve until the following January, at which time you will be examined before the Academy Board of the Academy. Should the results of this examination be favorable and the reports of your personal military and moral deportment be satisfactory, your warrant of appointment to be dated July 1st, 1873 will be delivered to you. But should the results of your examination of your conduct reports be unfavorable, you will be discharged from the military service unless otherwise recommended for special reasons by the Academy of Board, but will receive an allowance for traveling expenses to your home. Your attention is particularly directed to the accompanying circular, and it is to be distinctly understood that this notification confers upon you no right to enter the military academy unless your qualifications agree fully with its requirements and unless you report for examination with the time specified all right so child i don't know what the qualifications today to get into west point uh i'm assuming that is similar uh, because they look upon that as prestige i don't know child so i don't know if they were quote quote making the qualifications harder for him because he was black or if this was simply just the qualifications out the gate for West Point, I don't know that child, okay, but the author is certainly putting it as um not only was flipper um you know high up and made it high up in the military ranks but he also was admitted to West Point okay so I uh, Okay, so having passed a required interest exam, Flipper entered West Point on July 1st, 1873. Okay, so he should be able to pass because remember he he's college educated from Atlanta University. His four years at the military Academy as a cadet were marked by academic success and social isolation from his fellow cadets. He graduated in 1877. 50th out of the 76th, and was assigned to Troop A of the 10th Cavalry, then stationed at Fort Seal in the Indian Territory. Okay, so I just went over that to just show you those of um, that held rank position in the Buffalo Soldiers, giving you one example that this was an educated man, and that he even uh, not only was he college educated. He also um, got into West Point, which that's how he was able to go to the 10th Calvary with rank, all right? I don't know if in the military today, um, I think it is, but if if you have a college degree that you automatically go in uh, with some rank, if I remember correctly. And please feel free to drop down in the comments and uh, correct me or provide more insight on that. Okay, so this is a picture of Flipper. All right. Okay. Other than Flipper, there were only scattered example of black commissioned officers serving in the regular army during the Indian Wars. Two other black men graduating from West Point in this period, John Hanks, Alexander, was part of the class of 1887, and Charles Young was part of the class of 1889. The other black officers were, were regimental chaplains, Allen Allensworth of the 24th Infantry, Henry the Plummer of the 9th uh, Cavalry, Georgia. I'm sorry, George, Perilou, also of the 9th Cavalry, Theophilius. Ooh, chow, I'm just going to say Theo. Chow. Theo Gould Steward. Theo Gould Steward. Remember the stewards? are the direct tie to King James Stewart, because remember, Stewart is uh, the surname that he comes through, a King James, okay? So when y'all hearing about these stewards, back during these times, and even you'll see a sprinkle of them through a uh, government on the islands. I want you to always remember what bloodline that links to. Okay. So this steward is part of the other black officers. Okay. Now he was of the 25th infantry. And William Anderson of the 10th cavalry. While holding officer rank and being according to all the respects due an officer, chaplains were responsible for seeing to the men's spiritual needs, not leading them in battle. There are no example of black enlisted men rising through the ranks to the commission officer status from 1866. When the four black regiments were established to the beginning of the Spanish-American War, in 1898, okay? All right, so just to be clear, the other black officers were regimental chaplains, okay? So this Stuart was a regimental chaplain. Child. But the other two uh, ranking officers were John Hanks Alexander, and Charles Young, okay? So that's Stuart. He was a part of a chaplain. Ciao. All right, so uh, here's a picture of the members of the 25th Infantry in Montana in the 1890 battle. Okay, after the end of the Indian Wars, Buffalo soldiers became engaged in another activity in the West, that of serving as the rangers in the first national parks. The U.S. Cavalry had supplied troops to manage and protect California's national parks during the summer months. And in 1899, troops of the 24th Infantry had been assigned to patrol Yosemite National Park. In June 1903, Troops I&M of the 9th Cavalry, then based at the Presidio in San Fran or San Francisco under the command of Captain Charles Young, were assigned to manage Sequoia National Park. So just real quick on Charles Young, because remember Charles Young was um, a commissioned officer all right, so just real quick on Charles Young, a leader among the legendary Buffalo Soldiers, uh, eighteen sixty four, born eighteen sixty four. Oh no! I well, let me just say Charles Young, eighteen sixty four to nineteen twenty two. Sorry, served in the segregated U.S. Army of the nineteenth and earliest twentieth century. Young was one of the Few black military officers, these African-Americans served in an era when racism was rampant and many, if not most, white served. Oh, yeah, 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 whatever. Nevertheless, Young carried out a wide variety of assignments throughout the United States. Dang, but they kind of blew my thunder that we going to go into. I want y'all to peep what he served. None, nevertheless, Young carried out a wide variety of assignments throughout the United States, Philippines, Haiti, Liberia, and Mexico over the course of his 37th year military career. In 1903, Captain Young served as the ninth. Calvary Company, commanding at the Presidio of San Francisco, his duties that year including leading an escort of troops for President Theodore Roosevelt and serving as acting superintendent of Sequoia National Park. Okay, so here's a picture of um, Charles Young. Okay. All right. All right. Okay, so they were saying that Troops M&I arrived at Three Rivers in Sequoia National Park at the highest ranking officer present. Captain Young was appointed as acting superintendent of the Sequoia, the adjacent General Grant National Park. Okay, so there's another picture of uh, him as well. All right, Um, okay, and sequoia, those are beautiful ancient trees. So it was interesting that they were guarding that. Okay, so let's move on. The outbreak of the Spanish-American War saw the regiments of the Buffalo Soldiers deployed for overseas action for the first time. In April 1898, Major General William Shafter led an expeditionary force of over 17,000 men into Cuba, and 3,000 of them were Buffalo soldiers. Their participation proved controversial among Black communities back home, and some newspapers ran scathing editorials denouncing their service. One writer in the Indianapolis Freedman noted. Great excitement prevails here among all classes, and some of our colored men seem enthusiastic over the idea of enlisting in defense of their government, while some are more reserved and common sense asserting that no colored man should never again offer his services to protect a government that does not protect him. The government of the United States will allow some of her most loyal and true citizens to be burned and butchered and shot to pieces like dogs without protection and go right on ignoring their rights and claims as if all were peace and happiness in the family. And yet when a foreign war is threatened, these same ill-treated citizens are wont to be rushed to the front in the name of protecting the nation's honor. Such injustice is not tolerated by any other civilized nation, not even in Spain guilty of such discrimination among her own citizens. As a race, what means have we for unjust discrimination? Colored men, let us think before acting. If the government wants our support and services, let us demand and get a guarantee for our safety and protection at home. We want to put a stop to lynch law, the butchering of our people like hogs, burning our houses, shooting our wives and children, and violating our daughters and mothers. In short, as a race, we want indemnity for the loss of 10,000 Negroes who have been lynched and butchered and slaughtered since the Civil War. When we are guaranteed freedom and equality before the law as other American citizens, then we will have a right as such to take up arms in defense of our country. Okay, so I just wanted to read that to you all. Number one, I wanted to just show you that the Buffalo Soldiers not only um, fought against the the indigenous tribes, of the West, they also went on to fight in other wars, okay? And this time, by 1898, some of them went in um, the uh, Spanish-American War, and this was in Cuba. And so other uh, melanated publication, this one called the Indianapolis Freedmen, was like, "Uh uh-uh. Why y'all signing up for this and you being treated like crap, um, and not recognized as a citizen? Well, you're although you're a citizen, you're not treated like a citizen in the Americas, okay. And this is the same ideology that was used also in the Vietnam War, remember, specifically, uh, that was the reason that Muhammad Ali. Uh, refused to enlist, okay? Because he said he wasn't going around uh, the world to kill poor brown people and went off on uh, the American government saying how the treatment of um, black folks in the Americas was being done and he wasn't going over there to do that, Okay. That's what Muhammad Ali is worldly respected for. Besides the sports, (coughs) excuse me, he is worldly respected for standing against the United States government saying he was not going to war to take out other poor brown people on behalf of the United States government. All right. Okay, so I found that interesting that they were having that same conversation regarding um, the Spanish-American War. All right, Buffalo Soldiers in the Spanish-American War. One of the Army's policies was to try to prohibit the use of black officers during the war to lead black troops. The Salt Lake City Broad Acts Explained There is no American citizen upon this continent who possess any more patriotism than we do. But if we had the power, we would not permit one Negro battalion or company or regiment to assist in helping to fight against Spain unless they are officered from top to bottom by members of our own race. Now, I find that interesting because them Caucasian show wasn't singing that tune. When them Buffalo soldiers had to go out west and protect those white settlers, you wasn't singing that tune then. Mm. On the other hand, some black newspapers supported the war and advocated that black soldiers should fight. The Cleveland Gazette wrote, so far it looks as though we are drifting into a war with Spain. Spain is by no means the equal of the United States and will eventually be greatly worsened, but war will be a costly business to this country and should be avoided if possible. Nevertheless, the American people have a plain duty before them and they must meet it without truckling or compromise. Our government is founded upon that grand and cardinal idea of justice and it is the duty bound to maintain the national honor and to vindicate its righteous claims at any sacrifice, as much as we may deplore the terrible consequences. So again, I put this in here to just show you the other side of uh, the coin for the opposition. uh, So some of uh, white folks felt that black soldiers shouldn't be fighting in, uh, the Spanish American war. And if they were to fight, they should only fight if they are under the commandment of, uh, white military officers. And then you had, uh, some black folks saying, no black soldiers should fight. And it's their duty to fight as, uh, black soldiers. Okay, so I just find that interesting that you have have some Black folks saying, no, we shouldn't be over there fighting in Cuba because you don't treat um, Blacks as proper citizens in the United States. You're not protecting Blacks in the United States against these Jim Crow laws and the violence. And then on the other side, you have Blacks saying, no, that's your duty to fight. okay. So I just find that interesting because we still hear these same arguments today, not so much the arguments from the white side on you know black commanders and all of that jazz. Uh but the fact the 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 fact among the conflict among melanated black people in the Americas on the participation and the armed forces and the reason why black folks shouldn't be doing it and why they should be doing it. Okay. All right. So, uh, why did I, okay. Why did I highlight this? I guess I wanted to show you, uh, another, um, bail. I don't know what bail was. Sorry, fam. I highlighted it, but Don't know what bail was (laughs) in here for. Maybe the next um, article will get will will tell me. All right, a picture of soldiers after the Battle of San Juan Hill, including soldiers from the 10th Cavalry. Thanks to the reports of the bravery of the Buffalo Soldiers and other Black volunteers during the Spanish-American War. Many in the black community believed that the war marked a turning point for race relations in the country. They lauded their heroes in articles, books, poems, and songs, and they believed that having proven that they could and would fight for their country, their country would reward them with a recognition of their rights and liberties as Americans. This unfortunately would not be the case. As a result of the Spanish-American War, the United States became an overseas empire for the first time. Now, I just want to read that again. As a result of the Spanish-American War, the United States became an overseas empire for the first time and one of its newly acquired possessions, the Philippines. Was suffering political unrest. The child that blew my little locks back did not know nothing about this Philippine connection. Having fought Spain for their independence, groups of insurgents turned on the new occupiers when it became clear that they were not going to be granted their independence. Soon, Filipino nationalists led by Emilio and began attacking American soldiers, including those of the 24th and 25th Infantry who had been dispatched from the United States for occupation duty. As the attacks mounted, the 9th and 10th Cavalry were sent to the Philippines to reinforce those units already there, meaning all four Buffalo soldier regiments were involved in the Philippine War. Yeah, fam, that that blew me back. Blew my wig all the way back. My locks all the way back. Members of the 24th Infantry in the Philippines, there was considerable opposition back home over fighting in the Philippines. Many black writers and leaders believe it was wrong to subject non-white people to occupation, and thus they largely supported Filipino independence, okay? Because them Filipino, they were brown people, okay? The Washington Bee wrote, particularly while she is busy, on a harebrained attempt to go into the colonizing business against its own declaration of independence. And while she is making such frantic clamor of some kind of independence, which she has up her sleeve for Cuba, because remember Cuba is brown people also, and the Filipinos, Would it be extremely wise for the American Negro to show up to the entire civilized world, the class of liberty they enjoy here? We could maintain about a dozen bright brainy and race loving men at the expense, extremely small and which could be raised by having each large city where colored number More than 20,000 make individual contribution through local organizations or through one grand national organization. So in other words, why are melanated black soldiers going over there colonizing other brown folk? So the Cuba and the Filipinos. Okay? But remember... The same regime, the Buffalo Soldiers colonized them, same brown American Indians. Okay. But now, whatever they were promised as a collective, as people were cutting deals. Before the start of the Civil War and during the Civil War as melanated people that fought with the United States government on behalf of the United States government, whatever they were promised, they didn't fully get. It backfired because instead what happened, you had those whites. Those indentured servants, yep, them same indentured servants that came off of the, quote, quote, work plantation with them, melanated black soldiers, they were put in the position of power. Okay. And those black folk were put as the underclass. And then they even put laws in place in the South called the Jim Crow to reinforce that, okay? So by the time it came for the Spanish-American War, some of the black folk that were on the side of the United States government during that Civil War was like, wait a minute, hold up. Why should we keep fighting for you when you ain't lived up to the promises that you promised us during the Civil War and during the Indian Wars? We came out of both of those wars. Now we are the underclass citizen and acts of violence are being created against us and our families. So that, that same military training that you have given these soldiers and the education in some of those soldiers that's holding those uh, military officer positions, we could use those people in our melanated communities. That's where we can be using them. We could be using them in our melanated communities. All right, and they went on to say through local organization or through one grand national organization. In support of the fighting in the Philippines, the Indianapolis Freeman wrote, it pays to be a little thoughtful. Those papers and prominent citizens who said that a Negro was a fool if he espoused the cause of our government as against the Philippines have some considerable crow to eat or in order to be consistent, prove to be fools themselves. So I want you all to peep game. I want you to understand the dynamics within the collective melanated community, okay? Now this is in the ranks of the collective melanated community that fought on behalf of the United States government against the melanated, Indians, okay, that fought in the Civil War. Those collected, melanated people are now split because one side is saying, no, 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 no. We should not be fighting the United States government's wars when they've broke promises to us. But then you have the free men, who are putting out in their publications, what are y'all talking about? You're citizens. You're citizens of the United States. That's your duty. That's what you're supposed to be doing. And had to nerve to say the strife is no race war. It is quite time for the Negroes to quit claiming kindred with every black face from Hannibal down. Child. Hannibal was no Negro nor is Aguinaldo, cha. Now see, as this free man was telling other Negroes who ain't a Negro, the other Negroes should have jumped straight down their throat and went to whooping on their behind. How you gonna sit up here and tell me not to side with other black folk? They ain't Negro, but yet we sided with you all and got messed over by this government and you gonna tell us not to trust all black folk? Now, who shouldn't have been trusted was you, okay? And that is the same strife that the melanated collective community has today. Only difference is, no, it's really no difference because they didn't realize it back then and melanated people as a collective still do not realize today on which side everyone stands, And just because you are melanated does not matter which part of the planet you are from. And specifically in the Americas, just because you are melanated does not mean you are on the same side, okay? Because as we talked about before, you have black Europeans who come from those black nobility bloodlines or they were in the black nobility court. And they have favor. So meaning they get the positions, they get a little bit of wealth, they live relatively comfortably, and they are put in place to tell the other blacks slash Negroes how we all should be in alignment, but only if that alignment serves the United States government, okay? Okay. We are to share in the glories or the defeats of our country's wars. That is patriotism, pure and simple. See, that should have been straight swinging material right there. That should have been windmilling material right there. But is it a little bit of karma going on? Or a lot of karma, not a little bit. A lot of karma going on with the melanated community because you sided to overtake other people's stuff. And you got double crossed. But let's continue. The soldiers on the front lines in the Philippines were not. Unaware of the contradiction of black soldiers fighting in segregated unions, mostly under white officers, against other people of color. There were no set piece battles. Instead, it was a war against insurgents, not unlike that which the Buffalo soldiers carried out, I'm sorry, carried on against the Native American tribes in the West in the 1870s and 1880s, okay? So I don't know what he means by no insurgents, but those say people of color in the Philippines were people of color, black tribes in the West. So there was no difference, Okay. As the war progressed, many black soldiers began to believe they were engaging in an unjust war. And Filipino insurgents used this to their advantage, engaging in psychological warfare to try and encourage black soldiers to desert. They addressed leaflets and posters to the colored American soldier designed to remind black soldiers of the discrimination and violence they suffered back home. The propaganda warned the soldiers they were being used as tools in the hands of their white masters to further the latter ambitions to oppress other people of color. So I'm going to say once again, if those soldiers were not double-crossed by the U.S. government, they wouldn't have had no problem going out, getting it in with the Filipinos. And I say that because they didn't have a problem getting it in with the American Indians because they were promised all of these things. And because they didn't get all of these things, and then in fact, they came out of those wars, the Indian Wars and the Civil War, as lower class citizens. Now they're like, this is really the same thing over again. Really, at the end of the day, what are we getting out of it? And the Philippines was using that to their advantage. Plus, the United States now were putting the white Caucasians in power, which the uh, the black folks that fought on behalf of the United States didn't get the power. So that was just, all around the losing deal for um, the blacks that fought on behalf of the United States. A total of six black soldiers deserted to the Filipino nationalists during the war. So most soldiers continued to serve honorably, if not entirely enthusiastically. Commissioner Sergeant Middleton W. Sattler of the 25th, fifth infantry explained i know a middleton also y'all yeah. wow we are now arrayed to meet a common foe men of our own hue and color okay so this Mid- Mid- middleton it's madelinated I, yep i literally know a middle middleton child so he basically saying we are now arrayed to meet a common foe men of our own hue and color mm-hmm Whether it is right to reduce these people to submission is not a question for soldiers to decide. Mm -hmm. Our oaths of allegiance know neither race, color, nor nation. Mm -hmm. Another black soldier wrote, we're only regulars and black ones at that. And I expect that when the Philippine question is settled, they'll detail us to garrison the islands. Most of us will find our graves there, child. One soldier of the 24th Regiment who read, who read the Filipino propaganda was Private David Fagan, a native of Tampa, Florida. On November 17, 1899, Fagan defected to, oh, okay, the Alguan, Al- Aquinaldo's forces and was named a captain Wow, In the Philippine Revolutionary Army. So successful a leader was he that a bounty of 600 was levied on him. A bounty collected by the Filipino uh, defector who brought the Americans a decomposed head, he claimed was Fagans. There is no proof that it was in fact Fagans and he was never seen or heard from again after the end of the fighting. Child, if it wasn't, and it probably wasn't Fagan's, he just stayed over in the Philippines, honey. Presuming him dead, the Indianapolis Freeman told readers in December nineteen oh one, Fagan was a traitor and died a traitor's death. But he was a man no doubt prompted by honest motives to help a weakened side and one he felt allied by bonds that bind. Chow. Y'all let the Indianapolis Freedmen publication get away with that. Y'all should have been swinging on them. But let's move on. Chow. Now we up into the 20th century. The next major military operation involved the Buffalo Soldiers was back near the Southwest. And it was one of the most unique campaigns in American history. The outbreak of the Mexican Revolution in 1910 led to unrest along the borders as various factions in Mexico vied for power. During this time, Buffalo soldiers played an important role in maintaining order and security in the border areas, working to prevent bands of Mexican insurgents from coming across the border into the American towns and cities. Okay, so, um, oops, let me go back. Okay, so here's a picture of the Buffalo Soldiers that were taking prisoner during an exposition. One of the reasons the punitive expedition ended is because President Wilson became convinced that the United States needed to turn its attention from Mexico to the war in Europe. In early 1917, the punitive expedition was withdrawn from Mexico shortly before the declaration of war on Germany. But none of the Buffalo Soldier units served in the American Expeditionary Forces during World War I, though they did provide experienced non-commissioned officers to the other segregated units that did fight in France. Now, let me pause here. So I want y'all to pay attention. Now, remember, we have talked about that Caucasians started taking the seat of power, started being placed in the seat of power by the black nobility of Europe. Starting in the mid-1800s, by the late 1800s, early 1900s, more of them held the seat of power. And that is especially uh, in the United States government. Um, Okay, because the first Continental Congress was mainly made up of melanated men. You can go look it up. It's mainly made up of melanated men. Matter of fact, I will put a picture in that at the end of the podcast, all right? So by the time the official US government was installed, it was white men. Okay? So, where I'm going with this is the reason why they didn't want melanated men fighting in World War 1 was because it was the change of the face of power. So changing from the face of power were the black nobility Europeans, so meaning King James, King George, them people, to their bloodlines, either their bloodlines, meaning their mixed bloodline with Caucasian or pure Caucasians that they appointed in these positions. So now it is said um, that the switch over from world war 1 and world war II, that was really to establish the true new world order so coming from a melanated rule kingdom to caucasian rule kingdom changing the seat of power So that is why they did not want the Buffalo soldiers fighting in those wars. Okay? Because it was time to rewrite history. All right? To build up the white kingdoms, to establish the white supremacy. Empire. Okay. Now it is also said that uh, these wars, also around the world, World War One and World War Two, was also to um, switch out. Even in Europe, the last of the melanated empires, as well. Okay. All right, so the 10th Cavalry did, however, participate in what might be considered the only battle of World War I fought on American soil. And see, I didn't even know this, y'all. The Battle of Ambos Noglius. The 35th Regime was an infantry unit stationed at Nogales, Arizona, And on August 27, 1918, a gun battle erupted when a Mexican citizen attempted to go across the border back into Mexico without being interrogated at the U.S. Customs House. The initial shooting prompted reinforcements on both sides of the border to rush towards Nogales. The majority of those on the Mexican side were civilians upset with the taking out of Mexican border crossers by the US Army along the vaguely defined border during the previous year. On the American side, the 10th Cavalry was sent to Nogales to reinforce the 35th Regiment alongside state militia and off-duty soldiers. Hostilities broke out, resulting in the death of several soldiers and civilians on both sides. Including the mayor of Nagolas, Sonora, who was taken out while waving a white truce flag. Oh, chow, yeah, that is fighting stuff. A ceasefire was arranged as U.S. forces occupied the heights of the uh, heights south of Nagolas, and everything calmed down. Due in part to war hysteria rampant in the U.S., the United States at the time. Rumors began to fly that Germany uh, military advisors had fomented the violence and died alongside the Mexican troops they led. Credence was given to these rumors, partly due to Zimmerman telegram incident. Mm -hmm. Really? I'm just tripping on this Zimmerman name, y'all. A document in which Germany promised Mexico now, child, I had read this before. Now it must be sinking in. Mm-mm-mm. Child, it must be sinking in. What they done said. Whew, child, they better stop playing with me now. <sighs> so a document in which Germany promised Mexico the return of their former territories in the Southwest if they entered the war on Germany's side and attacked the United States. By the outbreak of World War II, the original Buffalo Soldiers regiments of the 9th and 10th Cavalry and the 24th and 25th Infantry had been disbanded or reorganized. The soldiers of the 9th and 10th Cavalry were moved into service units while soldiers from the 24th and 25th regiments formed parts of the segregated 92 Infantry Division, which served in Italy, and the 93rd Infantry Division was served in the Pacific. During the war, there were independent, segregated artillery tanks and tank destroyer battalions across various theaters. All of these units could to one degree or another trace their lineage back to the traditions of the buffalo soldiers interesting president harry s truman signed executive order 9981 on july 26 1948 ordering the interrogation i'm sorry the integration of the armed forces the order stated whereas it is essential that there be maintained in the armed services of the United States the highest standards of democracy with equality of the treatment and opportunity for all those who serve in our country's defense. Okay, so I'm not gonna read all of uh, his order, but just to show you um, the integration was signed by... um, Harry Truman on, in 1948 that integrated the armed soor- uh, forces, hence why there is no longer the Buffalo Soldiers. Okay. All right. So uh, just to, once again, let you all know where I was, uh, w- I, what I was reading from, This is by Charles Rivers, Buffalo Soldiers, the history and legacy of the black soldiers who fought in the U.S. Army during the Indian Wars, okay? So hopefully now we understand that um, it was the Indian Wars, Spanish-American Wars. uh, It was over in uh, the Philippines. So hopefully now you see how far this regime go. Hopefully now we understand who put together the Buffalo Soldiers, what was their purpose, okay? So I know this one was long, fam. Sorry it had to be so long, but I I wanted to give us a a clearer picture of who the Buffalo Soldiers were, uh, what their purpose was. And I also just want us to keep in mind because my goal is for us to truly understand true history because it's not as clear as black and white, meaning Caucasians against black folks, okay? It's not as clear as slavery, meaning slavery with white uh, colonizers enslaving black Africans, That's not the truth, okay. All right, and you're going to continuously, as I touch on these topics, give you the true story of what really went on. It was a lot more complex than what they are telling you, okay. So, as you are going through your own research, as you, if you're researching your family lineage, or if you're just reading regular history, pay attention to the dates. Line up the dates and what events they're telling you. And you can put the pieces together just with their information. You will be able to put the true story together. When they talk about slavery, more than likely when they're going through historical events, I don't know if they purposely slip up or they're putting it in there to give a little bit of discernment or not discernment, give a little disclosure. And you have to be well read enough to pick up that they're slipping in the truth. You'll get that they're giving you the true story. okay? Sometimes they'll slip up and say indentured servants. We've already went through what indentured servants mean. And in this case, you saw where they named that the occupation of one of the Buffalo soldiers was a farmer during a supposed time of slavery. And then the author had to clean it up saying, oh, but, you know, he really wasn't a farmer. He was a slave. But the army just documented his occupation back then as a farmer when they were really a slave Uh, no that makes absolutely no sense when we can look at the census records and they are very clear on the census records what you are what your occupation is what your gender is and your location Right. And what was your title in that household? They're very clear. So uh, this is Rhonda Family with WTUZ Radio Podcast. I wish everyone well on this Sunday. Um, If you are not subscribed to us, I highly encourage you to subscribe to us, like, and share. So thank you all very much, family. Peace and love. All right, family. This is a little bonus material. I have pulled together some pictures from the Buffalo Soldiers and um, hope you enjoy. Thanks so much, family, for your support. Peace and love.